Hello, my name is Tyler Chisholm, and welcome to a special episode of Collisions YYC Current and Critical, a focus episode where I sit down with local leaders to discuss the topics of the day. Well, good morning. I'm having a, I'm having a good old fashioned chat like I often do with Miss Jill McDonald, Director Enterprise AI Integration at Alta ML. How are you, Jill? I'm good. I'm good. I'm enjoying this uh, early fall morning. It's wonderful. It is. It is. Uh, and uh, this will air in a few weeks, but th- we're in that beautiful little pocket of fall weather. We know what's coming, but we're not going to think about it because it's so, like, it was like 20 degrees yesterday. It was beautiful. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not like so- snow timber. We're all so used to. I'm, I'm waiting for it to snow every- any day now. Well, you're, are you, uh, are you a Calgarian? Are you, have you, are you born and bred or have you been here for, for long enough to know that yes, you can get snow at any time of year? I feel like I, I should call myself a Calgarian. I've been here since 2003. Um, but I've kind of, uh, I'll call it a full on Canadian. My father was in the military. And so I've grown up in almost every province with the exception of some of our Northern, uh, state or territories and provinces. Um, so I've had the opportunity to live everywhere. But I came here to go to school and I've never left. And so I'll say my, I'll call myself a Calgarian. However, I've had the opportunity to kind of be everywhere. That's probably why I love change so much. Um, and I, I've found myself inside of this space and, and process improvement for such a big time. Well, that's kind of the nature versus nurture conversation. Maybe it was part of your DNA. And then you lived in an environment where it was like, what, every two to three years, often in the military, I think the cycle you can move. If if not less, I think actually there's a stat in my family. I went to 14 schools before grade four. I feel like I didn't even get to, um, like you're doing a couple months. And so unfortunately, I'm not that sport active, although I'm sure anyone in my community would say that that's just kind of maybe more (laughs) nurture than nature. Wait a minute, maybe (laughs) I'm getting that wrong. Um, But I didn't have the opportunity to develop these skills and be in a lot of the kind of socialized programs. And so the adaptability is definitely there because you're kind of just like, whoa, new friend down the street, and I'm in a new house, new new province, new city, um, pretty regularly. 14 14 schools before grade four. Just letting that land for a second. I guess I went to the same elementary school and then ended up in high school with the majority of kids that I went to kindergarten with in a small town in rural Quebec. So very different from that from that that perspective. That's got its negatives as well. So we'll talk about the small town thing. That's another <laughs> But hey, this it's a that was a great segue. Well done, by the way, into what we're here to talk about today is change. And you work in a, in a world where technology is the underpinning of everything that goes on. And now with your role at Alta, at Alta ML, working with AI integration and large enterprise, do you guys work mainly with large enterprise or is it SMB or pretty much more the, the larger organizations? No, we're working all over from SMB okay. to working with nonprofit, large enterprise across all sectors as well. Uh, we know that the tools and AI itself is not agnostic to one area. The opportunity is really looking at what where are your business challenges, where are your new market opportunities opportunities? Where do you want to look at intelligence to help drive your decisions? And so we're playing in a variety of spaces and really working with a variety of styles of clients. Okay. I appreciate that. And it's, it's interesting. I had I had the privilege of having Corey Jensen on the show and he talked about that. He said, Tyler, like in a few years, AI is just going to be the thing. It's going to, it's going to fade mm-hmm. away not in a bad way, but into the background of the underpinning of everything we do, which then really quickly alludes that it's, this isn't just a large enterprise opportunity. This is across the board. This is a business. This is a hu- almost a human opportunity. But this today's episode is not to talk about the, in- the, the nuances of AI. It's you and I connected around the idea of 
change management of the human factor. And I know we fooled around with a couple of different titles for the, sh- for the show around, you know, uh, digital transformation for non-technical leaders, non-technical managers. But what we're really talking about is the human factor. As organizations embrace, let's be honest, we're in Calgary, we've had a pretty rough go of it the last five years. COVID has come in and created positive changes in some way, but negatives for a lot. The energy sector has been back on its heels almost six years. I'm saying five. I had someone correct me yesterday that it's actually almost pushing into the six-year range pretty pretty quickly. So in your experience, and you come from uh, Alberta Energy Regulator, so how has it been? Just maybe talk a little bit about your journey of, of digital transformation and kind of what you've seen from the human's perspective. Absolutely. So I, I, it's kind of, a, I would say I've personally probably gone through a transformation as well when I kind of look at this journey. I started my career when I came to Calgary, went to, to University of Calgary and actually went to school to geophysicist. So geophysics being, of course, underpinned wholeheartedly by data and mathematics. And so I've always had this desire and love for that and the excitement around how you leverage data to make decisions. That was, of course, more focused on looking at the resource entity and opportunities around acquisition and and different spaces. And what I started to notice was that I was continually coming into spaces around how do I improve this? How do I make this better? Which wasn't very traditional in terms of a geophysical role because that was very focused on simply looking for oil and gas reservoirs or different mining opportunities. And so I, um, I'd say pretty quickly moved my career where I took the opportunity to go back to school and do a master's in business focused on kind of performance and management and improvement and then went into the continuous improvement side. So my opportunity was to then leverage and do kind of uh, lead six but green and black belt opportunities. And, and again, go right into the data. You're looking at logistic regression and a number of things around that and how we would optimize pad sites or look at drilling scenarios or optimize our supply chain processes as I, as I focused uh, within the energy system for a number of years. And what I started to see, and this this theme kind of comes throughout, comes throughout while we're talking about AI, whether you're looking at digital transformation or you're looking at your journey and, and to the theme of today is how, how, what change do you need to achieve and what's your business problem or opportunity, whether that's cash flow constrained in, in such an environment we are today, whether you're looking at we need to optimize production, we need to look at new market opportunities to bring different elements to our client and build our client base, whether you're looking at abilities to, to focus on customer relationships or where customers are, let's say, churning or leaving your business and how to be able to understand that better. And so I've always taken this lens around kind of improvement and then how do you use data to drive that decision? How do you underpin science and data to bring that evidence forward so that everyone's on a level grounding field and then you're able to all move forward? And so... Um, through my tenure in the energy space, I spent a number of years at the Alberta Energy Regulator doing a variety of things, everything from setting up continuous improvement programs and building cultures of metrics to leading operational teams of enforcement around abandonment, security collection, orphan wells, all in this market downturn environment. So really getting to see a little bit of a different side of the energy space. And over the last number of years, uh, we had a great opportunity to build a team from scratch around using a century's worth of data and information and how you can materially 
transform and leverage science and evidence-based decision-making in a more fulsome way. And so that's been maybe the underpinning is you can leverage the technologies around AI and pieces. And we've just kind of labeled it a little bit differently. It's using science and evidence or using data to drive a decision and figuring out how you use that to whether it's prioritizing where an inspector needs to go and focus their efforts or looking at how you leverage imagery to understand what's happening from reclamation progress or understanding fish habitat species by using imagery to be able to predict the the health and severity or where you need to do, do reconstruction programs. And so we've really seen this opportunity on looking at how you come at it from a narrative, both internally and from a leadership wise, uh, because it's here to stay. And it's really more on figuring out the way that you're going to have that adoption conversation that doesn't add a level of fear as you move forward. That's interesting. You said it still comes down to how is this going to, we're still a bunch of humans having having a, sometimes a messy experience in terms of how is this going to affect me. Curious, you mentioned just something in, in the way, in your story was around that, like early on in your career, that optimization and doing like, is there a better way? Wasn't really your role, but you, that was your DNA. So you pushed for that. I'm just curious over the last 10 years, you know, kind of maybe the good times versus the challenging times. Have you seen an appetite for that? Uh, like, let's do it better. Cause I've often heard the oil and gas industry as a very innovative in some ways, but when things were really good, there was also a level of complacency. And I'll probably get some hate mail for saying that, but I've had guests come on. It's like, hey, nobody really wanted to, to rock the boat when things were quote unquote going, going good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now that things are more challenging, have you seen even just a different a, a values or belief structure starting to change of like, we have no choice? Or is it just there's been a natural evolution of like, you know what, we've got to do it better now because we have no choice or it's just the time has come? I think both. And you're right on that narrative. I feel like there's this narrative in Calgary that you're right. It's on when the times are good, we're just kind of doing, we're, we're getting things done and we're not kind of looking back on how could we've done this better? How could we've optimized? I do believe there's been always been this underpinning of that work, especially when I kind of know some quite a few individuals kind of in the space and they've definitely been focusing on it. But you're right. I think is that as we're in this pressure, I'm going to call it a pressure cooker scenario. And we have been, as you alluded to for the last six years, that, that expectation, expectation from shareholders, that expectation from finance community, that expectation internally is there. And it's a a greater degree. Individuals are, are asking the questions now around what are we doing on optimization? How are we integrating technology? What's the longevity of the organization, specifically even for staff that are sitting there and wondering what What's it going to mean for me in two years? Is this organization going to exist? Is it going to materially be different? Are we going to go down that trajectory? And so I do think that we're getting more questions from more angles rather than maybe it's sitting at the board level or some of our kind of shareholders or external influencers. I think that we're getting questions now more internally on what we're doing. And so I definitely seeing a number of organizations and we're having quite a few conversations on what does this mean? Uh, How do we support? this moving forward, I think the challenge point is always, well, how do I take my first step? Where do I go? Um, how do I socialize with the organization? And so that those are definitely kind of the common features we're seeing, specifically um, in Calgary, uh, around just taking that first step. Some, some are for obviously far more agile and have the ability to, specifically smaller sized organizations, definitely have more clarity to be able to, to move forward faster. Um, but it's even the midsize and larger, it's just about taking that leap. That's maybe how I would suggest it. 
And are you seeing that come down from the top, from the board or the executive level? Like, okay, we're going to do this. And just thinking, I'm just thinking of the hierarchies, like the bottom up or top down. You're saying you're getting a lot more questions from the you know, internal, the working, the working bits of the day-to-day organization. I guess I'm a mid-level manager and all of a sudden I get this initiative shows up for me in terms of, all right, we need to optimize. We need to do better. We need to use technology. Those are nice, big, broad sweeping statements. I guess in your world, what are you seeing? Like if I'm a mid-level manager in a medium to large organization listening to this, and I've made, I know this is now my reality, but I really don't know what to do. One, I'm a bit, I'm a bit nervous because I don't know like that scarcity versus abundance concept of like, geez, you know, is technology going to take my job it, versus, you know, the, the, is it going to augment my role? How do you embrace that? Or maybe what advice or like, what is that for you mentioned the first step? How would you approach that for somebody who's maybe sitting kind of right in that, that vortex right now? So what, what I'd say, and typically what we'll look at, and maybe this goes back to some of the process pieces is let's talk through where your, where your challenges are. Let's talk through where your business opportunities are. So if you're you're being told by leadership, we need to start implementing or moving towards a digital digital journey. We need to, I want you to use AI to, to move your business forward, your branch, your division. Okay. So then maybe the question I'd go to say, let's focus on where your challenge points are right now, rather than trying to find this unicorn that can come, but let's focus on what are your challenges? Are you needing to um, say you're in supply chain? Are you looking to optimize your inventory? Are you looking at how you need to purchase appropriately? Are you having larger assets sitting for too long? Are you looking potentially in more of a preventative maintenance area because you're looking at reduce, reducing downturn or time to repair? Or So the opportunity is around looking at where your business challenges are and then thinking through, not only is there an applicability from a digital standpoint, but also what could that mean if I change that? And I think that's the biggest piece around leaders. It isn't just about, okay, I'm going to put this technology and this technology is going to make this difference. What we're not stepping back to doing is around what is the process that's changing and how is it, say, going to change John or Jen's role, per se? And how's it going to augment? I'm really going to get away from the uh, the conversation around remove, because generally it seems to be there's this overarching statement on reducing cash flow or OPEX or potentially reducing cat headcount. Typically, more often than not, around the headcount conversation, it's very hard to reduce an entire individual's role. We all know we do such a myriad of things all day. And so what we've noticed is it's more of an augment or more of a change in your role. And so it's around really thinking through if this was to occur. So say, for example, around that preventative maintenance piece, if you had an individual that was able to understand that that piece, uh, that one of your assets or a piece of your inventory was going to require maintenance or some sort of hands-on touch at a point, then you'd be able to better focus your efforts on the right time, the right schedule that you would go out and have the parts and the items available for you right then to then be able to optimize the amount of hands-on time you have and when you go to that asset, rather than potentially just looking at how you scatter yourself around. And so it's not necessarily about getting rid of the role, but it's about changing and optimizing the way you do the work and making it a little bit more efficient so maybe you can do more of it or you're spending more on the technical human decision and human reasoning that that science side that you went to school for, that you focused your career on and getting rid of a lot of that administrative piece. And so for leaders that are struggling, my biggest element is around 
think through how you how that might process change someone's role. You may not know that specifically, but that 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 can help you start to think through how do you have a conversation with your staff. The last thing I'd suggest is don't include them in the end, include them through this journey throughout. Have that constant conversation and make sure that they're aware of what's potentially coming. Not in this fearful nature, but this exciting way on if we could do this, then we could get out to this many, this many more of our assets, or we could really start to focus or, you know, that project we were trying to do to do on this XYZ, we can finally get to that and really have the opportunity around thinking through that as a leader. Uh, And that requires some time and effort to step back a little bit early on and think through this before you kind of get full, full, full deep with your staff. I've read quite a bit about and they like start with the workflow, break that apart, really understand the steps. And that's a, such an opportunity to do that with people versus going away, coming out and doing it to people. That's a very different outcome in terms of how people react. And you know, you if people can see their fingerprints on the on the journey, it's there's the chance of buy-in is a lot higher. Something you touched on, you and I touched on before we hit the record button, which sometimes <laughs> the, the good conversations come out in the in the pre-chat around just that balance between, I've been doing some reading on this as well. It's not this either or, it's this augmentation of what machines and technology do really well versus what humans, like predictions versus judgment and how you augment this. And some of that I think is really interesting, which you don't always hear about when you're like, oh, AI is going to come in and change everything. It actually might actually make your world actually better. You might be able to do more of the things that you actually love to do. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you're right. We got in such a long conversation here. I actually thought we were recording early on. So just <laughs> I just need to start pushing record away. button right away. And um, so you're right. So, and I was talking a little bit about there, this dialogue that I'm not hearing as much. And maybe, maybe that's what's making me a little bit nervous here. If I look really at Calgary um, and maybe it's more of a North American conversation as well is around this human uh, machine interaction and what the, what that role is in unity moving forward. We know number of other countries um, have been thinking about this, but have been having conferences, dialogues for years on what is that interaction point and what, what will that mean? So in some of the examples, as you walk through, like how is that augmentation going? How is a computer based uh, interaction going to enhance your job or your life? And, and I know there's this whole fear around or this pushback a little bit of well, we don't want technology invading. The challenge point is for for many of us personally, when you take yourself out of the work role from your phones to your heating systems to your, um, I know I have a video camera system, like a number of things are all kind of recording, interacting and recommending, which is underpinned by AI to you a number of activities and are telling you what, what should you type next or what, what are great apps or things to look at. And so what I think we need to start thinking through and for that kind of mid-level management question you had is, is how do we start the dialogue around that human machine interaction? And it isn't about machine replacing you. It's about machine augmenting you. And so some of the, the things that we've seen, and, and this is quite large, maybe hopefully so add an example. So for radiologists, many of us are very familiar with radiologists, of course, reading um, scans or x-rays, CT scans, MRIs. And so they've gone for decades of training on their specialty. And they have a great kind of, I'm going to say 96, 97. And again, maybe I'm going to get hate mail here on this exact number in terms of accuracy rates. Well, the opportunity we've seen is about leveraging AI and different platforms to be able to predict and 
identify features in these scans that maybe potentially weren't able to be seen by the human eye and the ability to not replace the radiologist, but to augment that. So with the AI platforms having a, say, 96, 97, similar accuracy rate, but linking the two together, it's a 99.8, 99.9% accuracy. And so the, that doesn't replace the radiologist. However, that gives them an even more enhanced diagnosis. So you're having a prediction and, a, and the computer identify for you, here's some of the features I'm seeing. These are some of the classifications, or I've noticed this type of cancer or early indication of cancer in this number of patients, um, they were the exploring. And so the opportunity is either for the radiologist to then look further into that scan or be able to do some research to underpin it. And so again, it's really about looking at the augmentation and it's really looking about how do you think about it as a complement if we're all going to go live in the wilderness, and I know you mentioned this, Tyler, if we're going to go, and of course, beautiful Tofino and out on the island, we have some unbelievable spots here in Canada. I don't think all of us could fit there. And so I know that we're not all going to end no, up No, I don't there. think the people that are now there would appreciate us all oh showing my, up in droves. No, they That's wouldn't. another story. I know for a fact that they wouldn't. <laughs> so I think in the absence of, of spending our lives there, it is really about thinking through what is that interaction that's going to complement and go back to the business problem opportunity, new market, new offering that you want. And how do you start to, to change the conversation from this is going to take something away from me to this is going to help me move forward. This is going to enable me or give me as a catalyst to, to make that journey. And you made the reference earlier, and I think it's so interesting. I'm typing an email now, and all of a sudden, you know, I use I I tend to use Outlook, but I still have I word Gmail shop in the background. But when I go on Gmail, it's finishing my sentences for me. I don't feel like my email writing is being replaced by the computer. It's being augmented. It's something curious sometimes what it comes up with as it as it learns. But if you think about, you know, humanity is we've been addicted to augmentation. For, we're making everything. How do I go bigger, faster? How do I get more done? How do I do you know more with less? All these things. If you think of technology as an actual kind of underpinning of augmentation it's very different than the fear of replacement like robots will take over the, take over the world i um recently read an article written by gtp3 natural language process this is a link that actually lucas your managing director sent me and it was written by a by a by an ai talking about why humans don't have to fear ai it was really interesting read and it was 100% written by a machine but going right at that fear, I, I thought there was a lot of nuance and tongue in cheek. It was very, it was very well done. But depending on why we're here to make your life better, as we we the robots are here to make your life better, not to not to take over the world. You don't need to fear us. It was it was an interesting little paradigm that I think covers a lot of nuance that's happening around this fear of being replaced versus the excitement of of being able to do things more what you want or maybe in a better way. It's an interesting shift. But maybe is it also just because we're in the early stages and a lot of us just don't understand? Like it, it's just it's it's old but it's new is that is that a fair statement mm -hmm. i think a little bit and, and that unknown is such a big unknown and of course in the me mainstream media it is this projection of this true robot i think we're, we're a number of years out towards that you're going to start to see that in more of the industrial setting and we are we're very already widely aware of when you look at the automobile industry like there's robots that are supporting the manufacturing of vehicles and the manufacturing of goods for and that's been that's not new and so it's more i think as we're 
looking at more of this office-based environment. The office-based environment hasn't been the, the, the big, knowledge, the, no, the knowledge worker environment. Exactly, yeah. it hasn't been as disrupted. Like when we looked through, of course, when the the advent of computers coming came in, that did disrupt kind of the roles and disrupt some of that. Now we're kind of going through that uh, similarly again in that office environment. But I, I think because it's it's unknown in terms of where, what role, what type, and how it's going to change. Like I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that I do believe there are going to be changes in roles and there may be, and there's a role that potentially is um, very, very much in terms of a standard data entry, things like that. Maybe, maybe those may be shifting. Um, but I think things around, I don't know if it's going to be whole scale individual identity roles, but quite a, a pieces of work and predominantly the administrative asset aspect and some of those areas where you can leverage the technology to augment and complement your work. Yeah, I think there's there's no one saying that it's that things are going to change. It is going to be mm-hmm. different and that can be scary. The opportunity what I'm hearing from you is let's get people involved in a conversation. Let's really talk about the workflow that we do and find out what elements of it and maybe it's only a couple. Like I've done it sat around a couple round tables and they're like we got we took 100% of the workflow and we put 20% did like went to technology. We augmented our the staff like the the, hap, the people were happier because they were doing less of the tasks they mm-hmm. didn't really like to do anyways and their performance and their output increase. So it's so easy to think about it as this all and none. But if you loop people in to the journey of, yeah, we're going to make it better. And yes, there will be change, but that, that that's in it. That's unescapable from a good old, I think it was who moved my cheese is a book on change for this been floating around. I think Ken, for years, I think everyone gets that when they start professional management or anything. It's the, if you haven't read who, who moved my cheese, it's probably, you should go give it a quick read. It's about a good hour read and you're, you'll, you'll get it. Yeah, I agree. I think what, um, we're right about the conversations. We're not, we're not, we're talking a lot about, I need to digitally transform. I want to adopt these technologies. I want to have it. Calgary needs to do more of this. We need to see more transition and change in Calgary. I, I disagree with a little bit of that. I think we are getting on a, a good journey here and okay. we're seeing that. Um, but I, I agree that the conversation isn't being around What's this going to mean? And getting into that nitty gritty. And I think as middle management and leadership, at times we felt that comfortable. We we could rely on some of our staff or some of our leaders or change experts or whomever to be able to do that. And I think because this is such a new and emerging space, the need now more than ever is for leaders to dive in, to be engaged to be part of this process and not necessarily kind of dictate and exp- and, and dictate maybe is too harsh, but to be stating like this, thou shalt do, um, and I want to see X result. And I think it's more about leaning in, supporting, and having the dialogue to shape this in the way that you're getting the results that you need, but the adoption is there and employees, as you mentioned, are feeling um, enhancement around their job. They're excited. They're able to do things they've wanted to do for a number of years, or I wish I had this access to a map before rather than having to grab all these data points. Like, There's definitely some excitement we've seen um, from individuals around, I wish I had just known this. If I had known this information, I would have made a different decision. Decision and wow, this is here. And so there's just some, there's some big excitement that comes with it. Uh, and it's around figuring out how you embrace that and how you lean in a little bit more through this journey. Even if you're nervous and fearful yourself, I think leaning in and through education and through kind of immersion, um, some of that kind of diminishes. 
Well, you know, like uh, hearing it loud and clear through everything you're saying, it's, you know, do you have a culture that embraces change, a culture that is inclusive? Like a lot of those kind of earmarks that no matter what you apply it to, it's kind of a prerequisite. You know, it's like being resourceful, being adaptable, being curious to learn. Some of those things, these are prerequisites for this journey, I would argue, just for the pace of change we live in in, in our world. So on the concept of learning and just getting in, a, it's a lot it's easier to be scared of something when you don't understand it. <laughs> I say humans are really, really good about that. We build the monster in our mind and then we realize, oh, you open the door, the monster was really way smaller than you thought it was going to be, <laughs> whether that's a conversation with a coworker or a brand new technology. Where do you encourage people to go? Like, Say someone's listening, they're like, yeah, you know what? You're right. I hear you. I want to learn more. Resources, places to go, books to read like at the grassroots level. What, to, what do you recommend for people? I'd say from an education standpoint, this has been a very big thing that that we found value specifically, I think, inside of Altaimala and myself personally. Uh, I think through education comes that awareness, comes the, it breaks down those barriers. So I think one of, one of the pieces that will give you a good perspective, and I know you've read this, Tyler, around just kind of AI and some of the technology and some of the adoption pieces is uh, Prediction Machines. That's a, an easy read, I'm going to be honest. Uh, uh, that book, um, it will really give you in more of a layman's term language, I'm trying to think through like the interesting piece around this change element is, and we're in the middle of kind of writing a a thought piece on this actually, is there's such a diversity in views and the research around some of this adoption uh, isn't as widely spread. And so that's where I think if you're going to be looking through um, how do we do change adoption, like there's no number of articles around and and books on here's your top 10 um, ways that that we don't see adoption around some of this. It could be everything from technology, could be everything from fear, could be from our data isn't in a good state. There's a variety of reasons, and those are very standard throughout all of the literature. I think what I'm missing on seeing, uh, and that's where we're trying to focus a little bit, is around how do you come at this from an internal leadership perspective? How do you think through more of that tangibility? And, and it's hard to use the word change management because that's got such its own discipline around this process structure and things like ADCAR, but all of those kind of tools are always can be leveraged inside of this. And so um, I'm going to think through something to be able to give to you. Or, and as we kind of link this podcast, I'll make sure that there's oh, a please. Thank of, you. Of research great. articles that we can kind of tie for individuals because I'm trying to think through in terms of off the top of my head, um, but I'll make sure that we have them for you. Yeah, thank you. We'll include it in the because I'm that guy. I'm going to listen and be like, okay, what do I do next? Like, what's my mm-hmm. what's my next action after this to get excited about? Uh, you mentioned even change. Do you think like when you talk about things that are happening in different parts of the world versus you see a different level of more maybe acceptance or more approach a, a different approach around the machine human integration? Would you say and like let's park the change? I'm glad you really quantified like change management because that was the next like next next question I want to ask about where that fits, but. Do we have the right, like, are the cultures of these of our organizations in Calgary versus some of the cultures in other parts of the world where you're seeing a higher grade of adoption? Like, are we are we in the right place? Do we need to still do work on our company cultures to be more adaptable, to be more receptive to change? Uh, just curious around, like, taking away from change management and just talking about the the cultures of an organization that'll make this path that we're going through, whether we like it or not, successful. So I'd say like, this is such a big topic. And I know even through my career, this is a constant, I feel like we're constantly talking about this need for company culture, corporate culture, we need to change corporate culture. 
I'm going to say you're not going to change the personal corporate culture. Um, but my maybe opportunity inside the space for individuals would be around looking to your kind of immediate little ecosystem or your fishbowl inside of your culture mm, okay. and seeing about how um, you can build the right ecosystem there, whether you have it already because you have leaders, leaders that are seeing an opportunity or if you need to work through education in terms of what, it, what are these tools, what's the opportunity, um, what would it mean and start to kind of build that. I'd say that it's a more around kind of that individual basis. And maybe from another piece too, it's really about looking at uh, how you build the burden platform. So, so specifically uh, for leaders, maybe as they're, they're excited or an employee comes up and says, what are we doing? Or someone from above is saying, I need you to go look through it and adopt more digital based thinking. Um, what we've been seeing inside of organizations is it's kind of starting in these little pockets and inside of, of Alberta, you're having companies starting. It's not saying like wholeheartedly, we're going to do this company wide. We're typically working with um, whether sometimes the IT space, but a lot of times the business areas. And so you're looking at leaders, leaders or sub pockets that are starting, starting small. We believe in looking at things like small bets uh, specifically as you start to look at things around AI, there there's opportunities that work and business problems that work and sometimes they don't work whether it's because you don't have the right data you don't have predictions or information about where you that answer you want to get to and so we believe in making these small bets trying and through trying you're not only going to start to learn what it means you're going to start to educate and immerse yourself on the opportunities and you're going to start to be able to see what it looks like and be able to start to have those conversations and we're starting to see that kind of grow i'm almost like picturing like this crystal many of you would have had as a child or maybe your children have them as well then you put the powder in the water and over time it starts to grow these large crystals and i think that's what we're starting to see is this like organically growing and and there's generally this knowledge that, that maybe your c-suite or the board about wanting to do this uh, and maybe they're they're giving that semblance or that that direction they're not necessarily the ones picking the ideas picking where you're going to focus and so we're really seeing that or kind of organically grow internally and then people are getting excited and wondering what are you doing over there what is that what what's the value you've generated oh that's what this means and so that's where i'd say I, I would try not to bite off this entire corporate culture and expect that it, it has to be in this perfect state uh, in order to try and do this. Uh, I would say working it organically, we all know that is definitely harder, but if we're going to wait for organizations, cultures to be ready and wait for others, I think we're in a missed opportunity. And so that's kind of how we're seeing a number of uh, companies across is really just starting and then working from within to kind of grow. I appreciate that. And thinking about the intricacies of how detailed and closely you need to really, really understand your workflow and your business unit to, to really understand where AI can play a role or do you have the right data set? And is it, is it, you know, do you know what you're trying to actually predict? When you think about it that way, the only way for it to be successful would arguably be in those small bite-sized approaches where 
to make it actually work, to be get people that are actually close enough to have a deep enough understanding to to go through the learning cycle. I don't use the word fail, but you're what did I hear? I heard a statistic the other day, like the majority of AI initiatives fail out of the gate mm-hmm. because you're learning and you're realizing what you don't have and you're realizing your gaps and your data and then you keep going back. But every time you get a little bit closer to maybe whatever ideal state is. Absolutely. Uh, for for AI, you really need kind of these three things. You need data. Um, you need data science. So an individual that can kind of transform, engineer, of course, work on the models. And you need what we call domain expertise. So understanding of that business process, understanding of the way to work. And those three are so necessary. Without one, you're either going to get some really glossy software program that maybe isn't going to necessarily work. We've all had that in our lives or we're going to get some data and information that we don't have any intelligence on. And so you really need the marry of the three. And that's the critical component is using those three. And I think, as you as you mentioned, absolutely, a number of AI pieces are definitely not successful early on, but not successful may not be always the right thing. They may not have been successful to produce an AI model, but they did start to teach you, oh, wow, I didn't gather the right data to be able to answer that problem. So now I'm going to go back and I'm going to see how I gathered the, the data in the right way in the right format, or maybe we didn't have information to be able to tell us um, the outcome we wanted. So now we need to look at how do we get to that? Or we start to what we do um, through not many of our kind of way of working. You generally do something called narrowing your scope of your problems. So sometimes you might have this overarching problem or opportunity. And then as you dive into the data, you dive into feasibility, you dive into what your domain uh, and individuals know in the process and you start to realize, well, actually, no, 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 where, where we need to look is here or where our data is telling us is to go here. And so the opportunity is kind of shaping it, or you piece it out into a number of smaller projects that then kind of relate to each other together. And so what we've noticed, similar to the culprit culture, is don't go for this large unicorn problem. Yes, the return on investment uh, and the value is probably substantial, but it might could take you far longer to be able to solve or maybe never get there because you're you don't have all the elements in place and so we we believe in starting small um it'll teach you a lot not only about the technology and potential adoption or integration opportunities but also gives you the opportunity to just dive in and test and through that you can then start to see how you can link up opportunities build broader ones but also start to build that culture around um, what is ai well, I can certainly hear the the unicorn problem also being ripe for. Oh, we tried it and it didn't work. Well, that was a, mm-hmm. that was a waste of time. Versus the small tests and learns and like bite size and like you said, when you're doing something smaller, you might not get the thing that you hoped, but you learned four other things in in the process. And I really appreciate that part of the journey. And next time you come at it, you know, back to back to shop class, you make that you make that first project in shop class. The second one you do is always better than the first one. Absolutely. <laughs> so whether, whether, whether it was home ec or whatever, whatever you were in. Um, so when you think about the data, data science, domain experts, uh, the three pillars, is there certain areas of organizations where you've seen that this is more, uh, that are better set up for it? Like in certain areas, and I know we're talking about broad industry, so maybe you want to be as specific or general as you want. I guess, are you, if I'm listening here and I'm thinking of like, I'm in a senior leader and I'm looking down on my organization, like, you know what, this is probably the area we want to start fooling around with this maybe first or second. 
So I'd say this is there. There's such an interesting way or makeup or structure of where you're seeing this. Some organizations put um, your data science team inside of your technology department, and but others are putting the data science embedded in your business, whether they're refinery optimization or you're looking at um, nursing stations. So some, it depends on how the organization views the structure. I think where where the challenge point is going to be on is how do you as an organization share and matrix your resources appropriately? So if you're not going to house your uh, data scientists and your domain experts together under the same leadership, uh, the there's opportunity and challenges both ways. If you don't, um, my suggestion would be, how do you ensure that the leadership team and those two leaders have a common view of the outcomes they need to achieve and how those resources can effectively be supported to work together? Data, I'd say we all know, is gathered in all areas of the business, generally, of course, managed and has some governance structure around it and security elements from an IT or a data management space. And so that's more around how do you have the individuals that can gather, receive uh, that data. But the domain expertise are generally the individuals that know the data. They understand it. They can look at it and say, well, that doesn't seem right. Or I need to question what that's meaning. And so the merriment of the two is critical. And I've, I've personally had it in a variety of different scenarios, and I've seen it in so many different. I'd say there isn't one specific right answer. It, but my suggestion is if they're not housed together, then figuring out and making sure that the leaders are united and supported, especially if they're in different divisions or different uh, siloed areas is important. Mm-hmm. But then the challenge is say you house all of that in your operational teams and you're a little bit disconnected from your IT function. Again, you're going to be disconnected from some of the ability to access your data in terms of security and the, and uh, the classification and, and some right. of those pieces. And so there's, there's a piece there where, there's not necessarily a right answer because you don't want to have these kind of silo pocket teams continually um, created, but you do need to think through from an executive level, how you enable that collaborative culture, the desire to work together to support common outcomes and how you can ensure that disciplines are there to support each other. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, and you, you said you said the word silo. You know, this is like AI is not a department. It's not a division of your company. Mm-hmm. It's 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 infiltrating all aspects. And I hear what you say about operations because as a leader, I immediately go, "Well, that's where we want it." But then you think about the role IT plays around data and your and security and everything you mentioned. That's going to be tricky, even from like how you structure that right out of the gate is really going to like you're either baking in or not problems right out of the, right out of the bat by how you structure that. Are you seeing companies pull people from different teams and bring them together? Like, is this, is this a corner of the desk exercise for some people? Or again, you're probably seeing all different versions. So I'm thinking out loud here as I'm talking. <laughs> I'd say definitely seeing all different versions, uh, definitely seeing corner of the desk. And I'd say predominantly, you're right. We're seeing uh, a number of, of organizations pull people together because they may not have a team and they may not want a centralized team around some of this. Sometimes you're seeing kind of set of excellence around uh, data analytics or advanced analytics of varying terms that are kind of providing that conduit around supporting the business on education, supporting the business on identifying what we call use cases. So those are going through the opportunity around AI and they're there as that 
connector that has access to some of the data scientists that understands the methodologies and approaches, but then are also able to connect in to some of the IT spaces and connect into the business experts. And so you're kind of seeing some of those centers of excellence, but again, you don't want them to be kind of that inside their own bubble, solely working on their own. But I think that's where uh, we see the most play and and see the most opportunity. We we call them AI labs. That's the, the methodology we use and the approach we use. And typically, we're working with those teams to augment their capability and capacity to be able to educate, ideate, uh, develop, and deploy AI solutions. And so they are always they're generally in a unique space. Sometimes they sit in an IT space. Sometimes they sit in what we call transformation teams. Sometimes they're inside of business areas. <laughs> they're all over, um, but that sometimes a centralized center of excellence is a way to have a standardized approach for your organization. And it could be even one individual that can help kind of bring and unify the right resources and has the relationships both to the business and the uh, technology and governance space. I love the center of excellence concept because you think about it touches everyone. It's going to touch every aspect of the organization. So thinking about that center of excellence to me, just again, armchairing, it makes a lot of sense because you know if if a certain group isn't at the table and they need to participate, then it becomes the corner of their desk when it's the main part of someone else's desk. And we know that that's where friction and stuff gets stalled and someone feels that they're being held back and all that different dynamics, like because it's going to be, or it is going to be such a part of how our organizations function, like the way we use computers, the way we use so many of our tools now, if this is going there, it literally needs everything everybody to understand it or be comfortable, or at least understand their, their role in it going, mm-hmm. going forward. Interesting. So curious where everyone's always looking for their next level of inspiration. So where, where do you look? Is it certain parts of the globe? Is it certain leaders that you look to? Where are you constantly, as I would assume, I'm making a bold assumption that you strike me as a lifelong learner who's probably con- constantly learning and consuming new things. Where are your sources or where do you, where do you look to for that inspiration that gets you excited about, hey, here's the next way. Here's, here's my learnings on how to approach things when I go in to support organizations. I think for me, the biggest piece, like I I do quite a bit of reading, but I I think where I find most inspiration is through dialogues and conversation and starting to actually see, because I I find I want to have that tangibility in terms of I can read a fantastic article about, like we were talking on human and machine interaction and seeing what's happening in all these centers of excellence opening up or education centers and what this could mean. And and I can read on the theory. But I think where what I start to like to do is have conversations with individuals and leaders that are pushing that boundary or they're trying it, whether they're trying it or they're failing. Um, that's been the most powerful for me is to have the conversation because it enables me to start thinking through, okay, what can this mean? What have you tried? And, and give that opportunity to even support the discussion with that individual about, hmm, well, this is where how I would have tackled it. Um, I'd say what is most exciting for me lately, and I, and maybe this is just because of we're in a pandemic, is Watching a lot of the medical, the life sciences and the push in that space, I think I feel like I, we're very geared towards that right now. At least I am. My, my husband and his whole family's in the medical field. And so I feel very pulled there. And so I'm constantly reading and researching what's happening in that space because I feel like I'm trying to give them intelligence as they run and lead their businesses. But then also it's a little bit around, for me, I feel like there's been this catalyst to push that sector and this willingness and desire to use that 
to support in, uh, intelligent decisions, whether it's supporting research, using AI to, to determine the right way to determine uh, research participants, because you can start to leverage mm-hmm. the technology to select the right participants, understand all the other factors that are in their lives that may or may not make them the right participant for a study, or looking at how the applicability of these tools are used in human or pet health, and starting to think through on how do we use that thinking to bring here to Calgary, bring here to some of more of our mature businesses um, and translate that way of thinking. That's kind of been where I've spent a lot of my focus right now. And and I think it's just because I'm so inside of this kind of pandemic world that I'm, it's really interesting to see what's happening in the medical space and nanorobots. I know you had this kind of piece around that uh, in our question period last week. And so you were the the only panel guest that answered that. So thank you for that. (laughs) Yeah, it's on my list to get someone to talk about nanorobots because I'm like, now we're really getting to sci-fi territory. This is super interesting. And and that's exactly that's where I'm thinking that I'm just seeing a lot of some advances in different areas inside of the health space. That being one of just kind of watching and reading and seeing and seeing what some of those opportunities are uh, like a nanorobots. I, I, it's not a compliment. But then when you started to even talk about the IoT technology, this kind of, again, this view around the the autonomous ability of things and so i it's not to say like for like because that's absolutely not the case but i think you can use some similarities around some of those to be able to start to um start the conversation about what that means kind of here on the ground the the medical field i think is so interesting because you've got got privacy you have very real like human human consequences. You've got, there's so many factors that to watch the medical world work through it. And I had a gentleman uh, I talked to yesterday who I'm going to have on the show uh, that I got connected with through um, Tim Cruz from the AI club in Calgary. And he's a ear, nose and throat uh, surgeon and talking about some of the technology they're implementing and what he's seeing and just chatting about that. And and the, the whole world of prediction versus judgment and really augmenting and almost, if you think about down the road of the ability to provide like that creates an interesting thing of like, you know, an average you know, a GP in a small town now being able to scale up his ability to diagnose and to support his patients through technology and access, like the benefit to the human the condition around that is it's, it's staggering, like the impact it could have in a very, like in a very near future. Absolutely. And that's where I think maybe it's also because we all have a connection to that Mm. experience. Like that example you mentioned, we can relate and start to understand the applicability. And and that's actually, I think, maybe the challenge point around some of the adoption pieces we're seeing in Calgary is how, how do we apply it? What does it mean for me? What area of my business? What process does it? And so it's we can visually start to see because there's been so much exploration, so much more exploration happening in health. And so we, and we also can have that relatability. And then, but the complexity of so many of our industries here is that we don't all have the, the knowledge of each individual's role or each individual's process. And so it's harder for us to be able to relate and be able to always have the conversation on, I see an opportunity there. And so I think it's about, by going back to where some business problems or opportunities, you can, you can start to kind of maybe be able to think through where AI can be applicable. Um, things like if you start to look at 
um, surveys, construction drawings, leveraging the technology to be able to identify features like valves or circles or certain elements on a drawing to be able to support compliance-based efforts. Uh, certain things like that, where that doesn't seem like a large-scale piece, but when you potentially look at the number of individuals or deficiencies that you may have or incorrect construction that may have occurred, there's such an opportunity. And I think that's where we're always looking at these large-scale problems pick it back, peel, peel that onion back, and finding that those small pieces, together those small pieces will build large problems. And even small ones in themselves may have very, very large returns uh, in, in and of themselves. I love what you said about medical, just that simple, like, I can relate to it. I can relate to, I have a friend who waited 18 months to see an ear, nose, and throat specialist. How about if their GP could use an AI-based tool to either go, yes, you still need to see that person, or, oh, you know what? It actually is just this. We can do it. We can diagnose. So if you think about it at an organizational level, the idea of bringing it down to your, your team, your division, your business area, understanding the workflow, it can become relatable. Then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it's a lot more, feels more opportunistic versus scary. Absolutely. That, that, it's amazing. Again, wh- how is it going to affect me? We're so human. <laughs> we talk about these things very conceptually, but it's still a bunch of humans having an experience of how I'm going to process this and like kind of what's in it for me or not. That, mm-hmm. that is so the, ba- the basics of it all, not to bring it, not to oversimplify this huge complex beast, but if you don't, you'll never even get started. Absolutely. And I think like, again, we're always driven what's in it for me. That is such a human instinct. Um, and that's why I keep, I've been mentioning like bringing individuals into that, thinking about the human side of the process, thinking about the implications of those individuals. Like it, even for examples, just to help kind of any of the listeners, if, it, if you were um, responsible to, this could be applicable, whether it's someone looking at reclamation of land or even landowners um, or potentially utility companies as you start to look at right-of-ways, leveraging things like computer vision to identify tree species, growth of trees, growth of vegetation over years, identify the types, the opportunity, whether it's looking at how is it growing, is it at the pace and stage we'd like it to be, what type of species is that? Do I need to go and remediate or cut that? There's opportunities, again, about thinking through these small, minute problems and challenges and seeing how the AI can augment your decision-making or how you go about your day-to-day business, how you resource your staff appropriately to to tie and, and execute. And so, um, I can't, we can't underpin enough about not looking for this big, big overarching start small um, and integrate frontline staff and leaders and give leaders an opportunity to digest and time to reflect on how they can communicate this to, sleep, to staff and how they involve them. There isn't a handbook that we can say, here you go, um, read this and you're going to know and it's going to end from all levels of leadership, we're having to build and learn that together. Um, so I think be conscious of that uh, as you look to explore this with your teams. What I heard loud and clear, uh, what I heard and what you said is also give yourself some grace that this is going to be a process. This isn't fast. This isn't like, okay, check the box, that there is a lot of learning and a lot of um, percolating in kind of, okay, what did I understand from this? Like, go away, think about it for a bit. Like, this isn't this isn't a checkbox exercise. This isn't how fast sprint to the finish line. What I'm hearing loud and clear is giving yourself and your organization time to go, to have those aha moments. Cause I'm assuming through this process, they, they kind of come slowly and then all of a sudden, boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. And, and I'd say in the aha moments, like give yourself. So 
start something so you can have the aha moment. We don't wait until you're, I need to have a data lake or I need to have my data in this way and then I can start or I need to wait till my executive have kind of given me direction that I have to focus on capital reduction in XYZ area or I need to get my OPEX down or I need, whatever it may be. Um, through doing, you can definitely start to have, start to push the conversations you need to have, start to question, start to have the aha moments and start to then learn through it. And so I'd say just getting your hands in, getting dirty around it is going to be the best way to start to make that journey, make that small step, find the small opportunities and kind of from there, things will grow like that crystal that I mentioned. I like you bring it back to the crystal reference, which probably everybody has a picture of that in their mind right now. <laughs> Jill, thank you so much for your time today. I, I, my brain is spinning. I feel like we could talk for another two hours, but I'll spare you. You probably have a few things, a few things on your on your plate today. What is the best way for people to reach out to get a hold of you to get engaged with Alta ML? What's 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 the next best step? So I'd say Alta ML. Whether you want to go to our website, which is very basic, around altaml.com, uh, we have a contact us or let's talk on there or LinkedIn. We're definitely on there. From reach out to my or anyone else connected to AltaML. Uh, I think we're about 100 employees here in Alberta, so we're really excited. We're always open for the opportunity to answer questions, whether you're just wondering about the discipline, you're not sure how to start, you want to know what others have done in this space, and you're just looking to explore. We'd love to have the opportunity to have a conversation. Um, and we also do a number of kind of educational sessions as well. It's not necessarily a sales tactic. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to make sure that the literacy and knowledge around AI is continuing to grow because we all know that through that we can start to see um, more change emerging for not only individuals but also organizations. Well, it's exciting as I hear like this this doesn't sound like a sales pitch. It sounds like this is true discovery. This is like, let's explore, let's understand where you're at. Like there isn't an off the shelf product that you can grab and go, Oh, Hey, here's you go. It's product three B we'll apply, we'll plug that in here. I'm not hearing that at all on this journey. So it really is the epitome of, you know, if I have 60 minutes to solve a problem, I'd, tend, I'd spend 59 minutes trying to figure out what the problem is. And one, then one minute solving it at the end. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, on, on, on that deep thought, Jill, thanks so much for coming on today. It was an absolute pleasure. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. Have a great day. Good day.